From DePaul University and the Pulliam Center for Contemporary Media, I'm JNP, and this is Center Points. Joining me today is Rick Horowitz, an award-winning editorial writer and commentator whose work has appeared in newspapers across the country. His work has also been featured on NPR's All Things Considered, as well as Milwaukee Public Television's public affairs program, Interchange, for which he's received two Emmy Awards. He can also be found online as a regular contributor to the Huffington Post. Rick Horowitz, welcome to the podcast. So um, I thought I'd like to talk to you today just about your career and where you went, came from, how ah. you got to where you are. And, uh, accidentally, I think. Accidentally? Yeah, okay. Much. Well, I was looking at your... Um, your resume, on, uh-huh. on, I think I was on LinkedIn, and um, I saw a wide array of, of, of pretty interesting things going on. Well, certainly a wide array. Yeah. Uh, I'm not sure whether it's a clear path or whether you yeah. just look back and, you know, and say, oh, yeah, there was sort of a straight line. I was doing column writing for my college newspaper. I started my, soft, my uh, f- second term of my freshman year. Where'd you go to college? I was at Brandeis. Brandeis. Yeah, and um, was... At the first newspaper meeting I went to, the first week I was on campus, and there was uh, a collection of editors there. The sports editor made his presentation. He mentioned he had a staff of one, and I decided that might be an interesting place to be. I could help there. And uh, spring term is when they turn over their editors into the new And so spring term my freshman year, as the staff of one, I became the editorial, the, I'm sorry, the sports page editor, and started writing a column. And so in some respects, you can see a straight line sure. from there to doing column and opinion writing yeah. that I'm still doing. Uh, there have been the occasional digression into things like law practice and working <laughs> on Capitol Hill and working for arts organizations and yeah. things of that sort. But, but um, in other ways, uh, both the interest in politics and public policy and writing um, opinion and doing satire, all those things have been... Uh, Pretty much constant, okay. uh, with some years off for sure. you know paid work. So what uh, kind of what kind jobs. of stuff did you what, what kind of columns did you write when you were in college? Oh gosh, um, started out as sports, and it was mostly trying to find ways of covering a team that was you know five and nineteen or something, <laughs> and that, which I think I mentioned to somebody the other day is probably why I started writing more observational columns rather than having to trudge down to the locker room and you know stick a p- notepad in front of somebody and say you lost again why you know they were also much bigger than i was um, <laughs> I know that feeling. <laughs> so you know um, so i think that helped develop sort of an outsider style rather than doing lots of of you know interviews with the with the players uh but as my time at brandeis went on i moved from sports into sort of news features and okay. news and and um political stuff and okay. was writing political commentary and some of it was still satiric some of it was not some of it was straight up um but you know you'd be writing about the vietnam war you'd be writing you about the draft just about that time. yeah i was actually i'm that old um <laughs> sorry older all the time no it's it's okay i there are people who know this so you know i have to admit to it people i went to school with are still walking the earth it's it's strange just to think um but yeah so i'd be writing stuff on politics uh, mostly national stuff, sometimes on you know stuff going on on campus, but stuff going on nationally was affecting what was going on on campus. Obviously, if you have a war going on and a draft in place, uh, it was quite important important uh, to uh, th- those of us on on campus at the time. So I was writing those kinds of things, um, and stayed with the paper 
pretty much uh, all four years I was there. Uh, was not an editor after a time. Was just writing columns. But uh, but yeah. So it's I started. In some ways, I started this particular career fairly early, and yeah. have stayed at it uh, in some ways all the way through. Yeah. You know. So, so then I, th- I tell people that inertia is a major motivator <laughs> in my life. <laughs> Me too. So, you know, so, you know, so there's that. I just started doing it. So then, <coughs> so then you go to law school. I do. I was out for a year out of Brandeis and had never even thought about law school yeah. while I was at school. I went to work for ABC Television in New oh. York for a year, doing ratings and demographics and doing promotional material for them, uh, working with the ratings, the Nielsen ratings and the ARB ratings, and putting together information uh, that would allow ABC salesmen to sell spot advertising time, is what it was called, uh, to advertisers by saying, we appeal to younger viewers. We have a higher percentage of the kind of viewers you advertisers want to get and writing those kinds of things. So this is like the the Fred Silverman years at ABC? I think it was just ahead of that or just just at it. You're good at this. Early 70s. Yeah, it was 1970. They had um, Marcus Welby. They had the Young Rebels. It was Uh a rebel. They were trying to appeal (laughs) to young people. They had Mod Squad. Yes. Uh, They had all that kind of stuff. Um, And... You know, you'd learn to make numbers jump through hoops. You had at the time the the major reigning talk show, of course, was Johnny Carson. Yeah. And if Johnny Carson had a 10 rating one month and a 9 rating the next, and Dick Cavett went from 3 to 4, yeah. you could say Carson down, you know, 10% <laughs> and Cavett up 25%. Yeah. And so yeah. you do a trend chart. Yeah. And so you learned how to make numbers dance, <laughs> and you learned to be skeptical of the numbers you read. And those are both good things to, yeah. to know. But, you know, you'd find a way to try to spin the numbers you had in the most favorable light for the ABC programs. So you, you, go, to, you go to Brandeis, you come out, and you start working there. What did you do at Brandeis that took you there to ABC? Uh, media and maybe wanting to do more media stuff. I did a tiny bit of radio at, ABC, at uh, Brandeis, but not very much. Yeah. But uh, I took communication stuff when I was uh, in law school, so it sort of it sort of jumped over that. I was still interested in doing okay. communication of one sort or another, and the law firm I went with uh, after law school was, in fact, a communications firm. It represented TV stations, radio stations, uh, to the FCC, the Federal Communications okay. Commission, as you know, um, and it was mostly as a junior associate doing license renewals and client memos about various policies that the FCC was uh, proposing or, pro- or enforcing. And um, but was writing on the side too. Was doing a little bit of writing on the side, uh, sending out op-eds occasionally. And um, while I was still at the law firm, had my first op-ed published, and it was uh, it's in the New York Times op-ed. Wow! Yeah, it was. Uh, <laughs> nice start. <laughs> yeah, I know it was all downhill. I figured, oh, this is fine. It took me another three years, I think, to get another piece published anywhere. But um, but it was fun. Yeah. And kept doing writing on the side and. Um, Eventually, that became, as I went through the succession of jobs you saw on the resume, um, the writing became more and more central to what I was doing. I was moving further from law jobs and more into writing jobs. Um, The job I had at the American Film Institute was sort of a policy job with some writing and ghostwriting. The job I had on Capitol Hill working for a congressman was advertised as they were looking for a lawyer who could write. Okay. And there was a lot of speech writing involved. Which, again, 
if you're talking to students about writing in multiple voices or being able to write for your boss or see someone else's verbal style and vocal style and how that works and how it differs from somebody else's, having to write in somebody's voice as a speechwriter is helpful. Yeah. Uh, it, was, it was quite a good training in, in that. So for whom did you work uh, in, on Capitol Hill? Uh, a guy by the name of John Bradamus, who okay. is a Hoosier, uh, oh. was a South Bend native. Okay. He represented uh, South Bend, Elkhart, Mishawaka. Okay. Uh, I guess I'm supposed to say South Bend, Mishawaka, and then Elkhart is how that goes, and uh, Michigan City. And he was, uh, while I was there, he was majority whip of the House of the Democrat for the Democrats in the House of Representatives, which means he was the third-ranking Democrat in the House, and uh, was a good guy, very smart, interested in lots of issues. Uh, we figured out once I'm married to a South Bend native. Uh, we figured out once that Sue's dad had had something like 14 or 15 opportunities to vote against Bradamus and had taken advantage of every last one of them. <laughs> so we didn't discuss that much at family <laughs> gatherings. Uh, but it was a, he was an interesting guy to work for, uh, very bright. And um, it, again, it sort of added to what um, sort of the, I had a better comfort level with writing about legislative stuff and how Congress works and how government works. Not that I was an expert and not that I did lots of, you know, sources close to the speaker today indicated that, but I understood, you know, the basics of how the process worked. And I think that made me better at writing about it, whether I was writing straight stuff or satirizing it. I think it was, it was, uh, it was helpful. It was okay. helpful background. So then, so, the, so then you're working on Capitol Hill. So how do you end up at AFI? Um, in, in, in L.A., right? Well, no, actually, I was oh. at their D.C. office, DC. the Kennedy Center. That's right. Okay, that's right. Um, I visited out in L.A. once for them. But uh, it was a brief tenure, but mostly what happened was I came to the attention of the director of AFI because I was writing a speech for the congressman mm -hmm. uh, to give at AFI and was working back and forth with staff, and one thing led to another thing. And they invited me over, and we hit it off well. And, uh, you know... That became, uh, after being let go from one of those jobs, having <laughs> lost a, a personality conflict with somebody who didn't have personality, but that's, um, wound up catching on with AFI as a special assistant. It was a short-term thing, like 10 months or so, and again was writing on the side, writing more. When that job ended, uh, when the funding for that thing ended at, uh, at AFI, uh, I was already writing on a fairly regular basis, writing columns mostly, occasional feature pieces. And uh, again, inertia uh, kept doing it and found myself getting published more frequently and establishing a regular roster, growing roster of clients, yeah. primarily op-ed and editorial, but also some feature pages, Sunday magazines back when there were a fair number of Sunday magazines that ran columns, and um, kept doing it. And it became what my the biggest bulk of my career has been was doing opinion writing. Uh, I added TV to that some point down the way after I'd moved to Milwaukee. Uh, Milwaukee Public TV was doing a show, um, it was sort of a magazine show, and had me um, do the occasional essay for them, sort of in the Andy Rooney slot at the back end of the thing. And that show lasted just one year and was uh, canceled to the immense displeasure of the 11 people who'd been watching. And then they put together another show called Interchange, which okay. was your basic public affairs talking heads show. Yeah. And, and again, had me sort of in the Andy Rooney slot at the back end of the show for a couple of minutes. And occasionally as filling in as guest host, but mostly doing the commentary. 
And that I've continued doing even after I ended the print column a couple of years ago. Uh, continued doing the, um, the TV and added instead some college teaching, some consulting, some working with newsrooms. Uh, the newsroom stuff actually predates that, but doing more of that taking on some uh, other clients with organizations and things, doing writing and editing for them. So I'll you, shut you, up now. No, you, you said, you, so you, said you, you ended the print column. Yes. So you don't write? I don't do, uh, I'm not newspaper. writing columns in print right okay. now. I do my stuff, the TV stuff goes out on Milwaukee Public TV. I yeah. put it out on a couple of websites. The HuffPost is a regular uh, platform for it. Uh, but I haven't done print columns. Um, variety of things went into that. Uh, wanted to try some other stuff. Sure. Uh, I was taking on some clients for my writing business, Prime Pros, LLC, that um, seemed to edge closer to policy and proposing legislation. And I felt, uh, you know, I couldn't, in good conscience, and different people have different places where they draw the line, yeah. but it seemed to me I couldn't be co both covering Congress as a columnist and helping organizations to write bills or amendments to bills that would be going before Congress. Sure. And so it's you have a conscience. How dare you? Different people do it different <laughs> ways. You know, uh, I have a colleague on the on the TV show who, when after I gave up the print column and I signed my first political petition in thirty some years, uh, giggled at me and said he takes petitions around. He signs them all the time. You know, and I, he says you don't give up your rights as a citizen, no, your journalist. And I said, I understand that, and that works for you. And different people yeah. are comfortable at different places. To me, the TV show, because it was not strictly journalists on it, but you had public, you had spokesmen for candidates. It was, I sort of called, you know, hacks and flax, basically. Uh, it seemed to me the limits were a little broader there. Mm -hmm. I could disclose when disclosure was necessary, uh, but it seemed to me as a as a print journalist, as a columnist, that um, I couldn't, in conscience, do that, and also do things that might be before Congress as legislation. So I figured, and frankly, the newspaper industry, the paid opinion part of the industry was circling the, the toilet anyhow. Yeah, yeah. And so rather than riding that pony all the way down the hill, it seemed to me it was a good time to uh, head out in some other directions. So your primary column writing was was about politics. Primarily, it became it was lifestyle and politics. Okay. Uh, over the years, it became more politics, and for a variety of reasons, including the fact that the TV station uh, wanted it to be strictly on the news, and so it seemed to me uh, it was a better shot to be writing the print stuff on things that I might also repurpose, as they say, uh, for the TV. Yeah. Did you find the transition to television easy, difficult? Were the, what were the challenges? I mean, because that's a, that's a whole different Yeah, a uh, couple of things. One, I'm shy, or I was, uh, and so that was difficult. Uh, two, um, the writing is even shorter. I write relatively short columns, about 600 words, 625, uh, and as fast as I talk, even, uh, you can't do more than about 425 in the two minutes they give you. And two minutes is considered long for commentary at the time I started. Sure. Now you've got, you know, uh, um, Rachel Maddow doing a 10-minute, 12-minute spoken introduction, um, you know, likewise from some of the other folks. But at the time, two minutes, according to my colleagues in the field, was a long time. And it's still it's only 400 words. So you had to learn even more brevity than you did before. Uh, you had to write slightly differently. 
because you might have to take a breath. Yeah. Uh, you might have to use a word that's easier to pronounce. You might have to use a word that wouldn't be mistaken for a word that sounds like it. Yeah. Whereas in print, you can read it. Yeah. Uh, you might have to write more, even more clearly because people can't typically go back and stop you and make you s explain, whereas in print they can read that sentence again to make it work. Yeah, absolutely. So all those things were things I had to learn. On the other hand, you got a chance to play with visuals and a little bit and play with props and do voices yeah. uh, and uh, play characters. Yeah. I play characters in print, but here you'd actually, sure. you know, occasionally you'd be in costume, occasionally you'd be in character, occasionally you'd be on a set, so and that was fun. So you have a little bit of theater Found out I did. It was a surprise to me. Yeah, um, yeah. It was that was different. I wasn't expecting that. Now, but now you also you talked about uh, satire. Now yes, you also do satire. Most of uh, mo much of what, not all, but much of what I do has a satiric bent to it. Yeah. yeah. So okay, so we we brought you here to DePaul. Uh, yes, the thank you for that. Thank you. Thank you to the Kilgores. Um, uh, to talk to our students about opinion writing, about editorial writing, and things right. like that. And, you know, in and particular, writing in general. And writing yeah. in general. Yeah. And I know you do a lot of uh, teaching. Yes. Anyway. Yes. So I wonder if we could talk a little bit about sure. just the process of teaching writing and, and what, you, you know, what you're talking to students about when you're talking about writing editorials and opinion pieces. Because actually that's some of the... The, the most action we get on our paper here at, at DePaul is probably through the opinion. Opinion, and, that's my understanding, editorial. yeah. Um, and so what kind of, I, I've talked a little bit about the wisdom you impart to them. About, I don't know about wisdom, yeah. but. Yeah. <laughs> we don't bring people here who can't give wisdom. Well, I don't know. You may have to take your check back. I don't know. Um, what do we talk about? We talk about a bunch of things. We talk about uh, things that I hope will sort of outlast whatever today's technology is because today's technology is going to change. A lot of what's up there now, Reddit and Instagram and things like that, are things that were not necessarily up and running when these very kids uh, were even in high school. Oh, gosh, yeah. And so the technology is going to change. The platforms are going to change. But my hope is to get folks thinking about and asking themselves uh, the right kinds of questions. Yeah. Who are you writing for? What are you trying to accomplish? Uh, what information will be useful to doing that for that audience? Um, how do you value, how do you assess the information you're getting? Is, is my opinion about something worth caring about if I don't know anything about that subject? How do you, why should you pay attention to me? Um, what will be persuasive? What will be logical? Um, all those kinds of questions, those are values that it seems to me are important whether you're writing you know, the bot into the bottomless web, or you're writing on Twitter and you have 140 characters to make your point. Uh, if you're writing to somebody who knows all about the subject, you can shorthand it. You can use acronyms. You can use uh, the terminology in the field. If you're writing to a general audience, how do you adjust what you're writing to get them to understand what you're talking about? Uh, so those kinds of considerations. Uh, a lot of it I call the writing you do before you start writing. You know, I'll ask okay. how long does it take you to write something, and the trick in that question is not just what's the something, yeah. but what do you mean by writing? Yeah, good point. What you know, before your fingers ever get near the keyboard, I argue, yeah. um, there's a whole lot of stuff you can do and should do to make the writing part, the fingers on the keyboard, more effective, more efficient, more successful. I find that students, when I'm teaching writing, have a couple of of, of hangups. One is that 
first they start writing too fast. Yeah. They just mm -hmm. start writing, and then they mm -hmm. think that's going to be the finished product. The no. second thing is they sometimes get scared to write because mm -hmm. they, they feel overwhelmed. And mm -hmm. so finding that middle ground, which is doing the research, getting yourself ready to go. And sometimes what you said is the first option, which is basically sit down and throw it out onto the page, is a good way to get over that hump of, of feeling afraid to start, so long as you realize that what you're putting out there is merely the starting point. And that now that you've got all the raw material out there, now comes the difficult part of assessing and organizing and sorting and getting rid of the not-so-important stuff so the important stuff stands out. You want, And I, I share with students quotes from everybody from Georgia O'Keeffe to Jamaica Kincaid to Miles Davis about the importance of leaving things out and that more is not always better. So once you've thrown it all onto your screen in answer to your first suggestion, now you come back to your second suggestion. Now you got to go think through what you've just put out there, and, that and that's the fine. Part. Yeah, you know, that and that, but that's so hard too to to start. You know, I know I do it as a writer. I fall in love with some idea or some something I've written, and it takes me forever to realize that. Well, it just doesn't fit. What's that old line? Kill your babies. Kill your babies. Yeah, yeah. I mean, <laughs> kill your darlings. I think. Kill your darlings. Yeah, the things you feel most passionate about in your writing, yeah. maybe the things that are in the way of the piece. Yeah but are things that you're so committed to, you love so much, that you're turning the piece into knots and pretzels to try to save, that, to save thing, that thing. exactly. And getting rid of it then clears the field and lets you write an actual smooth, flowing piece of work. And it's hard to do because they're your darlings for a reason. You and like it, them. It seems like it could be particularly problematic when you're writing opinion pieces or editorials because you're clearly writing from a motivated position, right? Rather than, um, you know, this is my job, and I have to cover this story. Rather, this is something I want to write about. I, I feel, feel strongly about this yeah. thing. Yeah. And then your responsibility is to your reader, why should you feel strongly about this yeah. thing? What have I said other than, you know, I, I used an example in class today, I assume we can say this on a podcast, where I wrote the words, that sucks, <laughs> period. Okay, that's opinion. That's opinion. Is, it is it sufficient? Yeah. What is missing there? You know, aside from the headline telling you what particular thing sucks, but <laughs> why? What's my case? What can I do to per to persuade you to share that opinion with me, assuming I have knowledge, expertise, experience, uh, an interesting way of describing it, an interesting argument to make, that a point of view you hadn't heard of, hadn't thought of? Why should you go with me? Yeah. And you, as the reader, have to assess that. I, as the writer, have to say, what do I provide you to convince you? that that's a reasonable yeah. position to have. Yeah. Um, so, you know, so my feeling strongly ought not be reason enough mm -hmm. for you to come around. I, I say to the folks in class today, if I say this thing, you know, Johnny Jablonski is the greatest snowboarder in the world, okay. okay. <laughs> uh, if you're writing a piece or wanting a piece about mountain climbing, the fact that he's the greatest snowboarder in the world, I've made him up, I don't know who he is, yeah. uh, doesn't matter. Also, doesn't matter if I know nothing about snowboarding. Yeah. My opinion on who the greatest snowboarder in the world is really worthless to you. Yeah. Whereas somebody who's a snowboarding champ and has covered the field, or you know, done it herself or himself, uh, that might be an opinion worth listening to. Why is my opinion worth listening to? Uh, I have to make that case each time out. Yeah, you know, it's how, it's sort of how I feel when I read movie reviews. You know, mm -hmm. I, I'll, I have people I trust. Mm -hmm. I exactly, know, I know where they're coming from, and I know. I've seen things they like, uh, 
and liked them as well, yeah. or I know that they're, they have a background to make this assessment. Or they have a, a bias in favor of movies with a lot of talk. Yeah. If I like movies with a lot of talk, right. I'm inclined right. to go where they like it. If, yeah. I, if I think talk movies are terrible and I want to see shoot 'em ups and blow 'em ups, yeah. then their recommendation I'm going to yeah. discount because they, they like things different from what yeah. I like. And that's, that's a reasonable thing. And I think you do the same thing with columnists. You trust them, you grow to trust them if yeah. they seem trustworthy. If you think they're making credible cases, yeah. if they're not, if they're not um, pulling things out of context and distorting what somebody says to try to score a point, yeah. um, you know, you feel you can trust them as honest brokers. Not that they're neutral. There's a big difference between being neutral and being fair. Yeah. And I yes. try to stress that, you know, you can come up with an opinion. You're not supposed to write. Uh, oatmeal, yeah. you know, that has no particular <laughs> slant to it. But there has to be, I think, there has to be fairness in how you're laying it sure. out and what you're using and the facts you're deploying, that you're yeah. not making up numbers. Yeah. And I say that as a satirist who will make up dialogue and sure. make up characters sure. and things. But when you're playing it straight, yeah. you have to be playing it straight, yeah. it seems to me. Yeah, being, being, new, being objective or whatever fair doesn't mean you can't, you don't have to that you can't have a perspective. That's right. I think I think that's absolutely right. I think the fairness is what you're required to do. Yeah. Uh, but by definition, opinion writing yeah. is your position on a particular matter. Yeah. Often it's a matter in controversy or you wouldn't be writing yeah. about it. Uh, and as a consequence, you're going to tick off some percentage of the readers pretty much without fail. It yeah. may be a different group each time out, depending on how varied you are in your opinions and what subjects you cover, but you're going to have that as a consequence, and you learn to live with that. So dealing with people who disagree with you. Yes. So now you're putting yourself out there. This is how I feel. Yeah. Um, what's the role of the columnist in responding to or dealing with people who criticize? Now, obviously, people are going to criticize you from positions that are uh, out in way past left field. Right. right. But then there are those people who are going to say, no, uh, they're going to come at you with a reason. Uh, I will try to respond to them. Uh, sometimes when they write, they will include uh, names and occasionally yeah. even phone numbers. Mm -hmm. Once in a great while, there will be a name, not a phone number, and I'll go look up the phone, find sure. the phone number. Uh, people tend to be stunned. Occasionally people would call in yeah. the past when I was writing the print column, and they would be absolutely stunned to have it, because I don't have a staff in an sure. office and, you know, Mr. Horowitz is <laughs> uh, I pick up the phone, I say Rick Horowitz, and you sort of see this, this <laughs> surprise there. Uh, and they sort of come to realize that you're a human being too, and yeah. that's helpful. Yeah. And hearing them out is helpful, yeah. that you are reminding yourself they're human too. Sometimes all they want to do is be heard out. And if you can have the conversation, listen to their reasoning, explain what yours were, was as well, you may not agree, but you can at least agree that you've both gotten there through legitimate means. Mm -hmm. um, and that's okay. And I have had conversations with people who have called into the station when I've done TV commentary yeah. with some criticism. And, you know, I will, they le typically leave a phone number and I have called back, you know, a number of them. And we've had generally good conversations. Um, on the other hand, you know, there have been folks who've, you know, who've just written, you know, awful things and aren't and you pretty well decide you know you're not going to have a worthwhile conversation with them sure. and you don't bother sure uh, yeah. but but if people are willing to be reasonably civil in their yeah in their criticism um i'm glad to hear it you know in the same way i tell class in class you know question me 
yeah. challenge me. Yeah. Don't take everything I say as gospel. Make a make a counter argument. Well, that, that, that seems that's a nice way to sort of close by saying, you know, the whole point of I think of the educational proposition here, as well as learning how to write for newspapers, and is to communicate ideas. I think that's true uh, in ways that uh, will raise uh, people's awareness of them, give them the tools to make their own decisions about it, and have reasoned uh, disagreements even about them. Um, and uh, I think we lose sight of that sometimes in the in the the rush of getting things done mm-hmm. and the and the hand wringing about where the newspaper industry is going or the news industry is going or media is going, um, but that that's the core of it right there. And if we can I keep that in I mind, I think that's right. I right? think that's right. That's and that's you know and that's why we bring people like you oh, here. Well, I'm delighted to be uh, here. Your students have been fun to work with. They ask terrific questions. Great. Uh, and they're willing to challenge, and they want to see how does this work in that context, which is great. How do we apply this thing we're talking yeah. about over here? What happens with this if you change that factor? And that's terrific, and that's lots of fun, and I'm picking up as much from them, I suspect, as uh, right. they are from me, and uh, the pizza's been good. Too. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> the so. pizza's always good. Yeah, thank you for that. <laughs> it's a college campus. You can't have There you go. Pizza. All right. Well, well thank, thank you, you so much for, for agreeing to talk to me. Thanks, thanks for coming here, and uh, we'll... Terrific. Uh, Hope our paths will cross again. Our paths will cross again. Terrific. All right, take care. Thank you. And that'll do it for another edition of Center Points. I want to thank my guest today, Rick Horowitz, an award-winning editorial writer and commentator whose work has appeared in newspapers across the country and who is a regular contributor to the Huffington Post. Thanks for tuning in, and we'll see you next time.